Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. We are live. This is Pitch Deck Asia. We are in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. My name is Graham Brown, joined by Edgar Sia. Edgar, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Great to have you here, head of Asia Pacific region at Hedera Hashgraph. That is correct. There's a long story behind your odyssey as well and what you're doing there. And um, let's dig into that. Let's find out a little bit more about you, the sure. man, as well as the project that you're working on. Yeah. We're going to talk about blockchain. We're going to talk about, well, the whole world of blockchain is obviously quite a complicated world. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you can express that and help us understand a bit better and how this is going to impact our lives. Sure. This is what it's about today. Maybe we can start at the top. Where are you from originally? So I grew up here in Singapore. Yeah. Born and raised. Yeah. yeah. But not always in Singapore. There's a really, you've got a really interesting story. I was speaking to, we were speaking Alan Schmoll. Yep. Off camera. So shout out to Alan. Um, you've had a long journey coming here as well. And it, I think that's interesting because, you know, well, we talk about how that sinks into what you're doing at Hedera as well. So... Born in Singapore, raised in Singapore, spent some time. You then moved to Japan. Is that about right? No. So I, part. so I finished military service here in Singapore, and then I went to college in the U.S. at mm. Carnegie Mellon University. And after that, I started working in New York mm. uh, at Merrill Lynch uh, as a bond trader. And then uh, I was there for two years, and then um, they moved me over to Tokyo for five years where I, uh, I worked with Alan there mm. for Merrill Lynch in Tokyo. Spent, and after your time in investment banking, mm -hmm. you went traveling? I did. I spent some time traveling um, yeah. and found myself in Ghana, in mm. West Africa. Um, was very inspired by an idea that I came up with uh, with a friend for a nonprofit leadership development program for young Africans. So mm. I decided that I wanted to stay in and build it out. Um, so I was in Ghana for two years, built up the organization, got it financially sustainable, hired a full-time CEO to take over for me, and then uh, and then I left. Yeah. yeah. Why did you choose Ghana? Uh, Ghana chose me, uh, right. to be honest. Um, I've never been. I, I mean, I'm aware of where it is in West Africa. So. In, in West Africa, yeah, that's right. And I uh, basically, I was traveling through, mm. um, ended up volunteering at, at an orphanage, mm. Uh, was very inspired by what the orphanage was doing. And so I, I went back uh, for a couple of months to build a, a company where the profits would get donated to the orphanage. Mm. And when I was there, I ran into a guy who I used to work with at Merrill Lynch in New York, who was Ghanaian. And uh, we came up with this idea for, for this leadership development program. Mm. So that's when I decided to, to stay longer. Is it still running? It is. Right. Yes. So you've and left a legacy. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I, I think the, the way I think about these things is, you know, you, uh, you do what you enjoy, you do what, um, excites you, mm. um, and, and what you're passionate about and, and hopefully you, you leave a mark and yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's anything that fantastic, but it, it's, you know, if I can help some people along the way throughout my life, mm. uh, I think that's, uh, that's a good thing to do. Right. Well, I want to talk about that in the context of blockchain as well. Sure. But making that transition from the investment banking world, getting your backpack on, mm -hmm. going traveling. I mean, it's quite yeah. inspiring, isn't it? I mean, you could have just stuck it out. You could have done that forever and done very well mm -hmm. and probably retired in the next few years, right? You could have like cashed out. Very good. But you yeah. decided to 
take on a challenge. And I was curious why people do that, because it, it helps us understand a little bit about them and their motivation. And then, you know, any startup, any business endeavor they're involved in, it has that sort of through story, that arrow of the narrative about them and what's driving them. What are they trying to do here? Right. So that leaving IB into Ghana. Yep. These are like almost two opposite worlds. One's like very sort of, here's what I'm doing. I can touch and feel it. And one sort of, you know, you could have been credit fault, default swaps or derivatives. And these things don't really exist in the real world, do they? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how was that for you? Well, you know, when I started my career in uh, investment banking, it was, I never saw it as, um, you know, something that I wanted to do the rest of my life. I, I really saw it as a stepping stone uh, believe it or not, into the nonprofit world. Uh, so when I, when I was graduating from college, uh, and I had spent a lot of time traveling when I was in college and a lot of time in developing countries. So um, out of that experience, I was very inspired to want to do something at some point in my life to give back and, and create opportunities for people that weren't born with the opportunities that I was born with, right? I think mm. it's quite you know, when, when you grow up in Singapore you in, and you spend time in, in the U.S., it's, uh, you don't really get to see what reality is in, in many parts of the world. And, and when you travel, uh, and certainly for me, when I traveled, uh, I realized, you know, a lot of the world doesn't live mm. uh, with the opportunities and, and the environment that, that I grew up with. And uh, I, I really felt a responsibility uh, at some point in my life to create opportunities for other people. And um, and so really getting into an investment bank and, you know, some people may view it as ironic, but I really saw it as a way for me to, um, well, first of all, save up as much money as I could so that I had the, the freedom to do, um, things in the nonprofit world that I wanted to do. Uh, and also to learn as much as I could so that I can take that knowledge and, the, and those skills to, to, you know, to do more for other people. Mm. And, and so I, I always saw investment banking as a, as a stepping stone into to something else. And yeah, and, and when I left, it, it, just, it just felt like it was the right time for me to do something else. I, I learned as much as I, uh, as I could, and I, I took as much out of the experience as I, as I wanted to. Um, yeah, and I, I took that experience and that skill set and to to do something that that I was more passionate about, that mm. I, yeah, that they did created more value for other people. Mm. Excellent, it's good. I think it's inspiring as well. And now blockchain comes knocking. Let's talk about that because on the face of it, and you're going to put me wrong, hopefully, these are completely different worlds. You know, you're working in Ghana where. You know, without being disrespectful, the technology is going to be pretty behind there, right? Mm -hmm. And now you're in the thick of it in blockchain. So before we talk about the transition, I'm just going to flash up the, the first sort of intro to your pitch deck so we can kind of understand what we're talking about is, you know, you're talking about concepts which to your average Ghanaian they, you know, they may think this is not relevant, right? Right. So... First of all, talk about Hedera Hashgraph and what it is. And then also maybe we can talk about the transition, how that made sense to you, having that sort of legacy and having also left behind a world which is very much about instruments and the stuff that you can't touch in the real world. And so in a way, technology of the financial world. Mm -hmm. So Hedera Hashgraph, 
For those that don't know, what's it about? Sure. Well, it, it starts with uh, the Hashgraph consensus algorithm. So uh, Dr. Lehman Baird, our chief scientist and co-founder of Hedera Hashgraph, uh, in 2012 started working on this problem. And by this problem, I mean distributed consensus at scale. So if you look at um, what Satoshi Nakamoto had built with Bitcoin blockchain or, or proof-of-work blockchain mm. uh, was his innovation. Uh, he had created something that had never existed before. He had created um, a way for people to transact, uh, but people that didn't know each other may not necessarily trust each other to transact with each other um, without the need for a centralized third party. But there were many limitations with, uh, with what he had created with proof-of-work blockchain. And just to be clear, it was a fantastic innovation at, mm. at that point. Uh, but there were, there were flaws that came along with it. Uh, some of the flaws include uh, the fact that it's very slow. Um, you're talking about um, five transactions per second, uh, and it will take uh, at a minimum one hour to, to confirm a transaction. And, um, and, and it also uh, requires a lot of energy uh, to, to validate those transactions. Uh, I think Bitcoin now consumes you know, up to 1% of the world's energy mm. consumption, uh, which, which really is a, a, you know, is that true? An enormous, enormous number. Yeah, that's right. Right. Um, and and so there there needed to be improvements on, mm. on what Satoshi Nakamoto had created, and and Lehman in 2012 started to work on this problem, um, and, and very specifically, he wanted to find uh, a solution uh, that achieved the highest level of security possible in distributed consensus this standard called uh, asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance, or ABFT. Mm -hmm. And this has existed in computer science for three decades. Uh, but up until um, Hashgraph, uh, or up until Lehman, no one had been able to create um, a consensus algorithm that was ABFT and fast. And, um, but Lehman uh, spent, you know, three years working on this problem and in 2015 had a breakthrough and that breakthrough is what we now call Hashgraph mm. uh, and Hashgraph achieves this level this highest level of security possible uh, called ABFT and it's able to uh, re reach speeds of over 100,000 transactions per second right orders of magnitude faster than um, you know Bitcoin and, and Ethereum and many other platforms uh, that, that currently exist. And so uh, up until last year, Hashgraph has only been used in enterprise use cases um, by enterprises that are building private permission ledgers. Mm -hmm. And uh, by last year, we announced Hedera, or Hedera Hashgraph, which is the public ledger built on top of the Hashgraph consensus algorithm. And what we're building with Hedera Hashgraph is a public ledger for the mainstream. So if you look at uh, the public ledgers that exist in the marketplace today, it's noticeable that no major enterprise is building anything significant on the public ledgers. Mm -hmm. Maybe a proof of concept here and there, but 
uh, no no deployed uh, you know significant use cases. Uh, and what we're building with Hedera Hashgraph is a public ledger for the mainstream. And and we're looking at all the limitations that exist currently with the public ledgers, both from a technology and from a governance standpoint, and and everything that we're doing to build this our to build Hedera is to solve all these limitations so that we have a platform that uh, all mainstream enterprises can can use mm. and trust, mm. more importantly. So in that space, in public ledger, what solutions are out there at the moment? I know they're few and far between, and people have had stabs at it, but where are we now? What are, and we've looked at the complete evoked set of the market. Yep. What is out there? Well, you have a variety of uh, different uh, public ledgers that are currently out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think many of them are, are quite well known. And and you also have a, a couple of other platforms that are up and coming and, and about to launch. Uh, I think later this year, there'll be a, a variety of different platforms um, launching, including Hedera Hashgraph, mm. that are solving some of the limitations of the you know, sort of first or second generation of, of public ledgers. Yeah, but if you look at the public ledgers right now, uh, they are they're slow. Mm. Um, some are they're hitting, you know, between sort of double digit transactions per second. Uh, they also um, have some security vulnerabilities. Um, so you've you've had hacks or attacks on some of the the existing public ledgers. Um, one as recently as a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, and then you also have, so right now there's, um, I think the market is trying to figure out what's the right way to govern a platform, right? If you, if you look at the public ledgers today, you either have platforms that have no governance uh, and it's chaotic or infight, you have infighting between different groups, or you have other platforms where um, you have a foundation mm. that is making all the decisions, the governance decisions for a platform um, what that typically means is that the decisions are made by a small hand group. Uh, I'm sorry, a small handful of uh, of individuals, maybe five developers, that are making all the decisions mm. for the platform, mm. right? Which also introduces a centralization into into these public ledgers when mm. when the goal is to to build a decentralized platform. Exactly. Right. In terms of your solution, we'll flash up the slide in a minute. I know you mentioned the existing solutions that are out there generally are slow, plus there's issues with governance and also security. Do you have a hypothesis about how you'll do that differently or are you just simply doing it better? Is there a different way that you approach the solution, the problem, if you like, mm-hmm. um, that the others don't? Yeah, and that's a great question. So, uh, yes, we do have um, our approach and in, in our solution. So... Uh, if you're looking at uh, speed and security, the, the Hashgraph consensus algorithm uh, that Lehman invented solves that, right? We're, we're hitting over 100,000 transactions per second or cryptocurrency transactions per second uh, and achieve, and we achieve the highest level of security possible. Uh, and we're also, and this ABFT level of security has also been validated by third parties, um, by our Carnegie Mellon professor um, with a, uh, using a formal methods um, and, and computer checks to, to validate uh, the security. 
from a governance standpoint, what we're doing is we are building a council of up to 39 of the largest corporations from around the world, uh, geo-distributed across the globe and across many different industry verticals, so that you have a, a distributed and decentralized governing body that also um, have a high level of expertise that can help make decisions for the platform. Mm -hmm. And we'll be announcing the first tranche of, uh, of around five members uh, at some point next month. Right. Yeah. And generally until now, that's been done between, like you say, developers or it's, unknowns. That's, uh, well, not necessarily unknowns. Um, quite often it's, it's um, you know, one face of the, mm. the platform or, or the technology. Um, but yes, it's, it's a very small group of people. Typically. Okay, fine. If we can just jump into the pitch deck, we can have a look at the, um, I want to have, actually have a look at the solution page which you've got up here. Maybe you can just talk us through. We've got the, uh, um, here we have, I mean, if, if you're listening to this on the podcast, maybe we can talk through it, what exactly it is. So can you help us understand how all this sort of falls together with Hedera, that the distributed ledger, how it works? And bear in mind that some people can actually see this and some people are listening, so you may have sure. to be descriptive. So can you just kind of walk through? There's a couple of slides here. Maybe we can have a look at them, starting with this one. Yep. What exactly it is as a product and a solution? So th this slide shows the tech stack. Mm. Uh, what you have is right at the very bottom is uh, the internet or TCP IP. And above that, you have the Hashgraph consensus algorithm. So this layer is responsible for validating transactions and, mm -hmm. and getting uh, consensus from the nodes in the network. And then above that, we're launching the platform with three services, uh, a cryptocurrency service, smart contracts, and uh, file storage. Mm -hmm. And then you have the, you know, our, our wallet uh, above that, that, that taps into these three services. And then you'll have uh, decentralized applications that are building um, on top of Hedera. So Hedera would be a combination of uh, the wallet, the three services, and, and Hashgraph consensus, and any applications um, that want to build on our platform sits mm. above that. Um, so for every API call that they make to the platform, they make a, a micropayment in our native cryptocurrency from the application down to the network. So for right. example, if um, an application uses a smart contract, then they will uh, there'll be an API call to the smart contract service and, and a micropayment from the decentralized application down to the network. Okay, to give it some context, what kind of applications, just so we can understand, would need the kind of level of security and speed of execution that Hedera can provide? Because right. I'm sure there's probably a whole bunch that don't can get away with slower ledgers and sure. less needs for security for whatever reason. Yep. But where would this apply? Well, uh, I'll put it to you this way. It, the, the truth is, really all applications would, uh, they require this. So even if some an application doesn't require high transaction throughput, hmm. um, if there's another application on on the network that use it that has high transaction throughput, they are 
sapping or right. sucking up the resources of the network. So, um, you know, it, it's fairly well known that uh, CryptoKitties from about a year and a half ago really just froze up um, the entire Ethereum network, mm. right? Um, so even if your even if your application just needed one transaction per day, but if another application is is using up the resources of the network, you can't even get your trans mm. transaction through. That's a problem for you as well. Mm. Mm. So so all all applications do uh, do need uh, to be building on a, a platform with with high TPS, mm. right? Mm. Uh, from a security standpoint, uh, yes, you you can build on another platform with uh, with lower security, but why, as a developer, why would you even want to worry about that? Mm. Right? You just want to focus on your application and, and building your application, and you let you know you let the platform or the protocol deal with those security issues. Okay. Right? Good. Thanks for explaining, just so we can no get problem. it out there, because people may ask, right? And where are we now with the actual implementation? Is it live? I mean, you know, you say you have uh, a, a roadmap for this year as well, and we'll jump in and have a look at your your roadmap. Yeah. Where are we now with this um, implementation? So so we launched uh, the network at the end of August last mm. year. Um, we announced our community testing program recently so that uh, anyone in the community can start testing the platform and, and start earning some tokens for for helping us test the platform. And we're expecting somewhere at the end of Q1 or early Q2, we will um, the network will be openly accessible to to anyone. So at this right. point, it's still uh, limited access um, to mostly developers that are testing out the network. And uh, yeah, but it will be open access to everyone and. Q1 or, Q, or late Q1 or, or early Q2. Okay, so yep. testing now, how many developers have you got on that? How many developers have you got testing it outside of your team? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but it would be you know, over a thousand developers right. on there. Yeah, that's a formidable task to manage that as well. So yeah, I mean, that's obviously right. that's a big part of what you do, that community outreach as well. Yep. Let's have a look at your, you do have a couple of slides in here about the journey. I think it's quite interesting. If we can just sort of jump back here. Um, so, okay, we talk about the partners and investors and so on. The milestone map. So you've explained a little bit already, Edgar. We've sort of done phase one. Phase two ran into, well, the end of last year. We're in phase, are we in phase three now, which is, I mean, it's a little bit, my eyesight's failing me as I get older. I can't sort of see that far. Um, but this is the public launch, right, which we're discussing? Is that right? That, that is correct. So uh, we are right at the the end of phase two and the beginning of phase three. Right. Okay. Right, where we are. So, so next month we are running um, the first uh, Hedera annual assembly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Seoul, where we will be making uh, major announcements, uh, including the announcement of uh, the first tranche of council members. This, is a f this will be the first time we're making uh, it known publicly who the council members are. And, mm. and these are some of the largest corporations from around the world. Yeah. Uh, is there a reason for cho choosing Seoul as well? I mean, I'm always curious about, and a lot of people are interested in Asia generally mm -hmm. when it comes to blockchain. Yep. And the interesting thing about Asia is they Asia moves at many different speeds. 
in blockchain. Yep. There's a fast moving Asia and there's a very slow moving Asia. That's correct. Yeah. Where are we with Seoul? What's the general oh, consensus there? Seoul is very much a, you know, the fast moving mm. uh, part of Asia is, um, you know, for blockchain or DLT technology. Um, I think there's been there's been wide adoption of, of the technology and there's there's a lot of uh, interest uh, there for uh, for the technology and for applications mm. uh, to be built on this technology. And mm. that's, you know, Asia's big focus for our organization and, and Korea is, uh, is one place that, you know, we expect to continue to commit more and more resources to. And you're based here in Singapore? I am based here in Singapore. Is, is, the, is the Asian operation based here in Singapore? I know you're the head of the Asian operation, but is yep. your, your team here as well? Yeah, this, so we have uh, six of us uh, in the APAC region, mm. um, four of us here in Singapore, and then one in Japan, one in Korea. Uh, but we certainly expect to continue to, to grow the team over time. Yeah, and how are you looking forward? Obviously, this is a question that comes up from time to time with China. You know, where does it fit into the plan? Because we can't talk about Asia without talking about China. Mm -hmm. Yet in the crypto and blockchain space, it's a different story. So what right. are your thoughts on that long term? Will this be something that works there long term? Or do we have to, you know, are there certain hoops we have to jump through before we get there in China? You know, that that is a great question. Um, if you look at China, they have been... You know, there have been quite strict regulations uh, that have been put out. Um, so they've, they've banned um, cryptocurrency exchanges from, uh, uh, from being registered in, in China. Um, and the, you know, there have been certainly limitations on, on what you can do there. But at the same time, uh, if you spend time in China, there is a, there's a lot of interest for, for the mm. technology. Right. Um, so I, I think that uh, regulations are still unclear. Um, and, and until there's more clarity uh, around those regulations, I, I, I can't really give you a, a great answer at the mm. moment. Mm. Uh, but, but you're absolutely right. It's an important country um, and, and it's something that you know, we'll continue to pay very close attention to. Okay. But for now, you're based here in Singapore. That's right. We do have a slide. I'm curious about your team as well on the uh, the, the pitch deck. We can have a look at that. Um, I'm always curious about the kind of people involved. And um, can you tell us, I mean, you've also, um, you, you've given us a little bit of a background to the, the founding origin of yep. Hashgraph and so on. So um, tell us a little bit, for those that don't know, where the company is actually headquartered and what kind of people are involved in it. Sure. No, that's that's a, a great question. I think very important part of our story. So, uh, the company is a, is a U.S. based company. Our co-founders are in Dallas. They've been in Texas for a big part of their lives, and you have parts of the executive team uh, in New York City and in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, but we are a fairly distributed team uh, around the globe. But I think one of the um, important parts of the story around Hedera Hashgraph is really the relationship between our two co-founders. So uh, Dr. Lehman Baird uh, is our chief scientist and, and co-founder, and then our CEO is uh, Mance Harmon. So Mance and, and Lehman met 26 years ago uh, as 
uh, in the Air Force in the U.S. Uh, mm. They were working for the Senior Scientist for Machine Intelligence, uh, essentially uh, what we now call artificial intelligence. Mm. And they, they both um, went on to do their graduate degrees. Uh, Lehman, noticeably, went to do his PhD in computer science from Carnegie Mellon and, and, com and completed his PhD in uh, what we believe to be the shortest period of time uh, ever in the history of Carnegie Mellon in two years and nine months. Mm. Um, and they, they both ended up uh, teaching at the Air Force Academy, uh, computer science professors, and then left the military to become entrepreneurs. Started one company um, in identity, sold that to a Fortune 500, started another company uh, also in the identity space and sold that to a private equity firm. And... Um, so the, the history behind uh, Manson Lehman goes uh, you know, mm. a long way back. Uh, they've experienced a lot of uh, different things together and, um, and launched and sold two prior companies uh, before starting Hedera Hashcraft. Mm. So, so there's really a, a, a deep um, friendship and, and collaboration between the, the two of them. Yeah, it's a good history. When they pitched you mm -hmm. on this business... You must have had a lot of options on the table. So tell us a little bit about that. What was it that got you? Because, you know, there are thousands of blockchain ideas that are out there to change the world at the moment. Right. And each one is radical in its own world. What worked for you? What sort of spoke to you? Right. So I, so, so they, they didn't pitch me. Um, you know, I, I basically, so I've been an investor uh, and advisor to early stage tech companies since 2012. Mm -hmm. And I've been looking very closely at the, the blockchain space uh, for the last three years or so. I was always very excited about the potential of, of blockchain, but also saw a lot of limitations with, um, with the blockchain technologies um, from a couple of years ago. And when I was introduced to the Hashgraph technical white paper, this was June of 2017, I was just blown away by, by what Lehman had invented. He has solved uh, the problem of distributed consensus at scale. Um, so, and, and I got to meet Manson Lehman, uh, very impressed with them, uh, not just as entrepreneurs, but also as human beings. And um, yeah, I, I decided that I wanted to be part of their journey. So the the relationship really grew very organically. It wasn't something um, that you know they pitched me or, or mm. I pitched them. Um, that they, they had a need for for someone to help them build up uh, their Asia presence. I, I had the right background, so um, yeah, it just it was a it was a very natural fit. And, and quite honestly, I um, if it wasn't if it wasn't Hedera Hashgraph, I probably would just not be working for another company in this space. Mm. Yeah. So you discovered the white paper, mm -hmm. started a dialogue with these guys. Yep. Obviously that grew, a relationship grew out of that. That's right. And then now you're working in the team. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty good. I mean, what a way to go. I mean, something that you believe in as well. What was the challenge then coming in and heading up the Asia Pacific region? Because I mean, it's a vast region starting <laughs> off the bat. And we talked about yeah. the different speeds yep. and so on. Why um, 
did you take on this challenge? Because it, it can't be an easy one. And what is it particularly about this challenge that interests you? Yeah, I mean, look, any uh, any startup is is never easy, and as, as I'm sure you you know very well. Mm. And but I I think look, I I see everything as a you know every challenge as a, as an opportunity. Um, I mean, the the challenges that we face in this region are that there's you know there's a lot to do, um, mm. and in in different languages, right? And so uh, the challenge is really figuring out, okay, what is what are your priorities? What are you going to focus on um, first? And, and then what are some of the things that you can push back till mm. till later down the line, right? And so uh, as we as we continue to to build up the, the team, uh, we've really let the the market dictate. You know, in which direction we're going to grow, or, or or what we focus on first, and and it, you know, as you spend time around the region and talking to people, it becomes quite obvious which are the areas, um, you know, it will be, yeah, which are the areas that that you need to dedicate more resources to, and mm. and when. Mm. So with that, how has it been growing the team here in Asia? Because Every startup founder that comes and sits in that chair and tells the story and the journey of their startup, the number one challenge they have is not raising money, but <laughs> finding good people. Yeah. Because it's easier if you were based in the valley where every next person's an entrepreneur. Right. However, here in Asia, there's still this idea of safe jobs. And even if somebody may have technical skills, they may want a safe job for those technical skills rather than a startup or even like an area which may be a bit risky. They need to be able to go back to their family and say, look, you know, I'm working for an investment bank, for example, right? Right. Um, blockchain, you know, the the relatives aren't going to understand that, right? So we're facing this sort of like pressure here in Asia that in these sort of highly innovative and entrepreneurial areas, that it's harder to attract talent, right? Right. Because we're competing with the banks and the law firms and the doctors and accountants and so on. Right. But in the Valley, it's a lot easier because they're less cool, right? How has it been growing the team here in Asia? What kind of people have you found that you thought, oh, these these are the people we really need at Hedera, right? Right. Yeah. You know, the, the truth is, um, you know, I, I've been involved in, in quite a few startups now as uh, both an investor, advisor, or as an entrepreneur. And um, we obviously have our, uh, a lot of work to do, but quite honestly, it's been um, one of the few startups I've seen where, where we've been able to, because of the work and, and that Lehman has put into this and, and the innovation of his technology, it's actually been a lot easier than, uh, than many other startups I've been involved with because, mm -hmm. um, the, and, and our marketing team has, has done a great job getting the word out there as well. Um, communities just naturally build up, um, in different countries, uh, around the region. And, and as we engage with those communities, you, you get to know people and, and you get to know who are the capable ones, who are the enthusiastic ones. Mm. Um, and 
uh, again, because of Lehman's innovation, it's it's not that difficult to attract them to to join the company, mm. right? Because we have this we have this big vision of um, building the trust layer of the internet and decentralizing the the web, uh, and it, it's it's a vision that if people are excited about the space or about our technology, they they naturally get drawn to us. Mm. So uh, a lot of the hiring that that I've done in in Asia over the last year and a half since I've been with the company have been from enthusiastic people within our community. So right. so we're quite lucky from that regard. That can be a challenge in itself. The fact that you do attract a lot of people. Now you have to get the right people because you're going to get a lot of you're going to be a, a magnet for a lot of people, right? So and they watch this show, so startup talent, if we can call them that, yep. looking for causes. They're looking for, you know, an opportunity to put a dent in the universe. Real talented people, yep. not job seekers. I'm talking about people who have skills and they want to change something. So they're looking out there for that story that resonates with them. Right. So they're attracted to what you do. What are you looking for from them? Because you're going to attract a lot of enthusiastic, talented, not necessarily entrepreneurs, but skilled people, right? Yep. What is the spark or what is the certain, you know, mindset that really for you as, you know, the head of this Asian region signals that this person's really going to fit in, in the culture? Right. Well, the the truth is this, this space um, and distributed ledger technology is so new that um, you really just, the best people that we've brought into the company have been just people that have a passion for for this space and, and the ability to learn quickly. Mm. Um, so I think whether or not you know much about blockchain or distributed ledger technology uh, is, is less relevant because a lot of us are still very new to this space. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that as long as you have uh, a passion to learn and you are a quick learner, that's you know those are the main things that we that we look for. Mm. Okay, I want to ask you a question. I guess we we it sort of brings this whole story full circle. You're in the blockchain space. You're working with DLT, so distributed ledger technologies. Yep. Most people outside of tech probably have never heard of that, right? So. How does that fit into your arc of narrative with your journey? Yeah. You know, especially I think back to your work in Africa as well. Yeah. Does it fit in? Is it sort of Steve Jobs style where you look back and join the dots and it all kind of makes <laughs> sense? Or is it, how how do you sort of rationalize that, Edgar? Yeah, well, for me, I I see this technology as having the potential to really improve the lives of people around the world, hmm. right? And so, um, and and that's evident from some of the use cases that, that are and applications that are being built on our platform today, right? You have um, you have a pharmaceutical company that is using our using Hedera to track their their supply chain, uh, for example, and and that's a, I think one of the best use cases you you can have with with this technology, where you're preventing uh, fake drugs from from entering into into different countries. Mm. And yeah, I, I think the, the technology has the potential to um, really 
democratized the the internet, so we're we're not as reliant on on big centralized uh, entities. Mm. So I, I think you know the the way I I personally see my life is I want to do things that that create value for the world, right? And and I want to uh, in my lifetime just just add value to to other people's lives, and and this is. Uh, different from the work that I did in Ghana, but uh, ultimately I, I do see my involvement with this as, as adding value to the world as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different in content, but in context, yep. it's very similar, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's a different right. application of that. Yep. Do you? I mean, just I wonder if you were a cocoa farmer in Ghana, <laughs> would this affect their lives within the foreseeable future? I mean, do you think? I mean, you talked. I know there's there's a real inroad with blockchain into supply chain and traceability, authenticity of products, and so on, which you mentioned with pharmaceuticals as well. Especially, right. we're seeing a lot in ag tech, yep. you know, in farming and the whole supply chain of food. Mm-hmm. Do you see that impacting places like Africa, like Ghana, in foreseeable future? I I do. Uh, how long it takes, I I really don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, e- even as a as an industry in the developed world, you know, let's let's not even talk about Africa for uh, just yet. Even in the developed world, there's, there's still a lot of change that's going on in the in the DLT space, uh, and we're we're just trying to learn and figure a lot of things out at the moment. Uh, but I I absolutely see the technology, um, you know, having a, a very far reach, and, mm. and um, we have companies that are. Thinking of using this technology for uh, banking the unbanked, right? Mm. In, in places where where they may not have access to banking services, but they have a mobile phone, for example, right? And and so um, I absolutely see this this technology doing good in in the developing world. As far as the the timing, that's something that we'll we'll have to figure out. Yeah, it's a big challenge, mm-hmm. and wishing you all the best with that. In terms of anybody that you want to connect with, obviously, you know, you've got a good network already. However, Asia is a very large space, Mm -hmm. you know, many billions of people. What are you um, looking for? I mean, we have a platform here, which is watched and consumed by investors, talent, media, technologists, all kinds, weird and wacky, all ends of the spectrum. Is there any in particular, people that you really want to sort of reach out to and say, look, if you're doing this, I want to hear from you. Talk yeah. to me. Yeah, and quite honestly, if there's uh, if anyone is building applications uh, in this space and, and whether you're working at a big enterprise or at a young startup, uh, if you are building applications on distributed ledger technology, uh, please reach out to us. Um, we would love to figure out if there's a way for, for us to work together and, mm. and for you to build your application on our platform. Excellent. What's the easiest way to reach out to you? Uh, you can email me. It's just edgar at hedera.com, H-E-D-E-R-A.com. Excellent. We'll put the details in the show notes. That's Ed Garcia, everybody, head of APAC for Hedera Hashgraph. It's great having you in the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, wishing you all the best with your journey. How, wh- how long have you been now at Hedera? About a year and a half now. A year and a half. Okay, so I was just wondering when your anniversary was. But you're coming into two years now, so yeah. it's going great. Excellent. Keep us updated. 2019, there's a lot happening. As you say, we're all learning in yep. this space. 
and I don't think anybody really is sort of in a position where they say they can know it all because it changes so fast as well. That's right. And keep us updated with your launch as well. So, you know, your, what the Q1, Q2? Yep. Looking at that Q1, going. early Q2. Yeah. Excellent. So it's exciting times. It is. Um, Edgar's here, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks a lot, Graham. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.